0: at the end of Jonah chapter 1 and goes through all of Jonah chapter 2. So if you have a a Bible or the Bible app on your phone or some other way, you can turn to Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 17 and read all the way through chapter 2. So Jonah 1, starting at 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head, To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, this is part two of the Jonah series titled, The Upside-Down Mirror, and if you haven't heard last week's sermon, then you might be thinking, what does that mean? So, quick review. Sometimes people talk about reading the Bible like it's looking in the mirror. You see yourself and the characters in the story. And the book of Jonah, this story, feels kind of upside down. Because nothing is the way that it's supposed to be. Nothing is the way that we expect it to be. So last week we talked about and we saw how Jonah is this horrible prophet who runs away from God and would rather die than go preach in Nineveh. And the pagan sailors are the ones who pray to God and vow to be faithful to him. It's upside down. So if reading the Bible is like looking in the mirror, then reading Jonah is like looking into an upside down mirror. It feels like something has to be off here. Something has to be wrong. But remember, you can't hold a mirror upside down. No matter what way you hold a mirror, it's always going to reflect you exactly as you are. So this book of Jonah is trying to show us that we might be more upside down than we think we are. We see Jonah doing these horrible things and we want to point a finger at him and say, I I would never do anything like that. And that's exactly how the author is trying to make us feel if you remember i said last week the author is messing with us a little bit and we'll see some more of that today So last week i said that i think jonah is an allegory and this was perhaps a surprising take for some of you so i just want to provide a little more clarity on that And for starters, I could be wrong. I'm I'm comfortable to admit that. I might be wrong here. The story contains all real people in real places. The problem that I have is that they aren't doing realistic things. Everyone and everything other than God It behaves the opposite of what we expect it to. So the story being upside down is what makes me think that it's an allegory. And many theologians think this way. But it could be a dramatic retelling of a historical event that really happened. And many theologians also think that way. The point that I'm trying to say is you don't have to think that I'm right. So regardless, if it's history or if it's allegory, it is a very dramatic story. Everything is kind of exaggerated to the max. So the Hebrew word, gadol means great. Everyone say, gedal. So in the story of Jonah, Nineveh isn't just a city. It's a great city. And God doesn't just send a storm, God sends a great storm. And after the great storm, there's a great calm. And then the sailors fear, remember last week I talked about Yahweh. the sailors fear a great fear of God. And then God doesn't just send a fish to Jonah, 1 verse 17 says that God provides a great fish. This word is used 15 times in four short chapters. Seems a little bit excessive to me. Everything is exaggerated and everything is over the top. Starting right where we started this morning. It's not just a fish. God sends a great fish, a gadol fish, is what God sends. Everything is over the top, including the way that God rescues Jonah. So last week I talked about the Veggie tails effect, coined by Tim Mackey, if you remember. And the idea is that we've kind of come to know and maybe love a simplified children's version of this story and maybe others. And one way that I think this Veggie Tales effect plays out is in this scene, in chapter 2. Perhaps for some of you, when you read verse 17, and you think that Jonah being swallowed up by a fish is a good thing. Jonah's thrown overboard to calm the storm, and so God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah up. Hooray! Right? I don't think so. We shouldn't expect that this is a good thing for Jonah. And I think that we only do naturally because we know how the story plays out. We've heard it so many times. But this is bad. In every other situation, when you get swallowed by a fish, you die, right? Like, this is more Jaws than it is Marineland. We're supposed to be worried for Jonah. And one thing that I talked about last week was that Maybe Jonah wanted to be thrown overboard because he would rather die than go preach to Nineveh. So now that Jonah's being swallowed up by a fish, it seems like the plan is kind of working. Jonah is supposed to be dead after being eaten by a fish. But inside the fish, Jonah isn't dead. However, especially from a a Hebrew perspective, Jonah can't get any closer to dying. So in our culture, when you think about where people go when they die, heaven is up and hell is down, right? We all think this way. But for ancient Hebrews, either way when you die, people go down to the land of the dead. Maybe you've heard this Hebrew word before. The word is sheol, the land of the dead. And, and Jonah actually references this in 2 verse 2, where he is deep in the realm of the dead. English translation has that long phrase, the realm of the dead. In Hebrew, it just says sheol. So The NIV is trying to explain for us what that word means. So everyone say sheol. sheol. Perfect. And another Hebrew concept we're talking about, even briefly, is something called cosmic chaotic waters. And there's a lot to this, but the short version is that for ancient Hebrew people, water represents power and danger. It's it's a power so great that humans cannot harness it. In, if you remember in, in the creation story in Genesis, and there are some strange references to water, things like the spirit hovering over the waters. This is the same concept there. There's a power here. And in those stories, God actually creates the water, and he, and he sort of harnesses it in the creation of the universe that they're these cosmic chaotic waters and that God brings order out of chaos. God brings order out of cosmic chaotic waters. This is a big Hebrew theme. So everyone say cosmic chaotic waters. <laughs> That's a fun one. So if you remember last week, I was talking about also, Jonah is, is on a downward spiral throughout chapter one. He goes down to Joppa, down into the boat, down below deck, then down below water, and down now in the belly of a fish. Jonah is at his very lowest point possible. It doesn't get any lower than this. In the belly of a fish, underneath water, in the realm of the dead. So Jonah isn't dead, somehow. But he is in a very figurative place of death. And Jonah's prayer kind of showcases and combines these two themes. Whether or not you have your Bible open, I'm gonna kinda go rapid fire for a minute here. Verse three, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, the currents swirled about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. Verse five, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, but you, Lord my God, brought me up from the pit. And there's more, but you get the idea. Jonah seems very thankful that God saved him from death. He seems genuine, right? Let me tell you a story. When I was at Redeemer University. I played on the varsity volleyball team there. We used to practice in the gym four times a week, and we used to be in the weight room about two times a week. It was very busy. I was far from the strongest guy on my team, so when we were in the weight room, I would get outlifted in in almost every category. That was common. The one place that I could compete was with lower back exercises, especially something like deadlifts, if you're familiar with working out. It's a lower back exercise. So I, was, I would pride myself on how strong my back was. Every time somebody wanted to work out, I'd say, hey, let's do deadlifts. But a little over a year ago, I went to an osteopath for the first time. If you're unfamiliar with an osteopath, they're, they're kind of like a chiropractor and a massage therapist and a physiotherapist, sort of, all in one. It's pretty well-rounded, what they do. And so I started going because my hips were really hurting, especially my right hip. If I moved it in the wrong way, I would kind of get this sharp pain. And so I thought, okay, well, I need a hip adjustment. I'll go see an osteopath. And for your first session, they do like a full body assessment to kind of see where you're at. And after my assessment, the osteopath told me, hey, you've got some hip problems, but the real issue is your lower back. And I thought, that can't be right. My lower back is where I'm strong. But the osteopath said, It's the root of your issues. I mean, you can keep taking all kinds of Tylenol, you can keep stretching your hips, but if you don't deal with your back, then it's never going to get better. So I had done all this stuff to try to deal with my hips, but that was kind of a surface issue. It had never occurred to me that the place that I thought I was the strongest was the root issue. Sometimes more of life is like that, I think. Sometimes we identify an issue going on in our lives. We try to deal with what's happening on the surface, but we aren't dealing with the root issue. Sometimes it's hard to identify the root issue because we think it's where we're strong. We don't put any work into what's really going on. And you might think, like I did with my back, I'm okay. I'll be fine. I don't have to work on that. And and we keep going through similar repetitive surface issues because we aren't dealing with what's really at the root. Jonah is thankful that God helped him. I think he genuinely is thankful. But he shows no signs of being sorry about the horrible situation that he put himself in, from what we read in this whole chapter, he never actually repents. He never says, God, I'm sorry for what I did. And he doesn't ask God for help, again, from what we read, he doesn't ask God for help until he's already in the belly of the fish, safe. That's when he cries out to God for help. I'm already safe. Thanks for that, God. So Jonah does show some humility here as he is saved, but I think it's just this surface level humility. (coughs) Jonah shows no sign of genuine repentance for what he did. He's thankful he didn't die. But in the end, it doesn't actually change his attitude about the mission that God gives him. And in chapters three and four, we'll see even more clearly that Jonah has no heart change after this experience. Jonah's root issue is not fixed. All Jonah knows is that he doesn't wanna go preach to Nineveh. But the real root issue is that Jonah doesn't want God to be merciful to his enemies. God is supposed to be merciful to the Israelites. God's supposed to be merciful to Jonah. Look, it doesn't matter to Jonah if he dies or not because he's part of God's people, so he's going to go to heaven anyways. But God isn't supposed to be merciful to Nineveh. God's supposed to punish Nineveh, the Israelites' enemies. And Jonah's afraid that if he goes to Nineveh and preaches that God is going to show them the same mercy that he shows to Israel. That's not fair. Why is God doing that? We want a merciful God for ourselves, but we want a just God for other people. But God showed mercy to Jonah even when Jonah didn't ask for it. This is supposed to be a humbling experience for Jonah. And he's supposed to have this big heart change, and realize that we all need a merciful God. Jonah needs a merciful God. Nineveh will need a merciful God. <clears throat> but Jonah's heart is not changed. The mirror is upside down. Something is wrong here. And remember. The story isn't about Jonah. It's about you. Have there been times in your life when you feel that God is working on something in you, but you simply don't want to change? No, God, that's too hard. I don't want to work on that. God is trying to teach you, as He's trying to teach Jonah, to depend on Him. As a a culture, we value independence a lot. Right? We want the kids to move out. The kids want to move out. Everybody wants to do things on their own. We want to make sure that we look good in front of everybody our houses are clean, our kids are well-behaved, we're financially stable, we've got everything under control. That's not what God values. God values dependence. He wants us to depend on Him, and He even wants us to depend on each other. We need each other. That's what this community is about. So I've been trying to ask myself, what kind of a journey has God asked me to go on that I don't want to go on? And the answer that I came up with is trusting him to take care of my family financially. I'll be honest, we don't have a lot of money relatively speaking. And that's both the result of of a few recent unexpected things, but mostly it's from having a baby and starting seminary in the same week last September. So this isn't me asking for pity or donations or anything like that. What I'm trying to say is that I feel God calling me to seminary. And when Shannon and I talked, we wanted to have a baby. We prayed to God about timing for a baby, and this has been God's timing for us. And I knew going into this season that I was going to have to trust God to provide for us financially. He was calling me and my family on this journey. I don't want to. That's hard. (laughs) Sometimes I think that, you know, maybe if we had a little more money, then we would feel financially secure, and then, then we wouldn't have to trust in God. Wouldn't that just be so much easier? But as mentally and emotionally and spiritually challenging as this has been, It is a journey that God has called me and my family on for our good. We might not have very much money, relatively speaking. We might need help to pay for things sometimes. But God is teaching us to trust. To trust that he will take care of us. Trust that he truly has our best interests in mind, even when things get difficult and discouraging. I'm learning that it's okay to ask for help. Help from God and help from the people around me. Help from this community. I don't have it all together. I'm upside down. And it's no use pretending or wishing that I'm not. Sometimes I just need to ask for help. that's okay. Because it's good to be dependent on God and on each other. And for me, sometimes that feels upside down. Jonah didn't want to do what God asked him to do. And when running away caused him to get into a lot of trouble, then he didn't want to ask God for help. At least not at first. Do you remember Tim Mackey? Referenced him a couple of times. He's got another great phrase. and He calls this the best worst thing that could ever happen to you. God has put you in a situation where you've got no other choice than to ask him for help. In the belly of the fish, Jonah has no other option than to ask God for help. What's he going to do? He recognized that God has been with him the whole time. Right down to Joppa down to the depths of Sheol and the cosmic, chaotic waters, God was there the whole time. It was God's plan for Jonah to end up in the belly of the fish. 1 verse 17 says that God provided the great fish to swallow Jonah. And in Jonah's prayer, 2 verse 3, he says that you hurled me into the depths, that your waves and breakers, God, have been crashing over me. And even the difficult things that happen are part of God's plan for you. Nothing ever comes as a surprise to God. He's not shocked by the things that happen, even as shocked as we can be. God didn't create sin. But he does see it coming. Our current circumstances, no matter how good or bad they might be, our current circumstances don't define God's love for us. Jesus' life and death define God's love for us. No matter how bleak things get, God is there through it all. Asking for us to depend on him. And sometimes it takes an extremely humbling experience where we have no other option to see that we need that. Because we think we're strong enough to do it ourselves. And then the next two weeks, we'll see more and more that Jonah didn't let this humbling experience work. What challenges is God putting you through? To humble your heart? To teach you dependence? Is it working? Let's pray. Father, we pray for humble hearts. Sometimes life goes really smoothly. And when that happens, help us not to get complacent. And other times in life is very difficult when that happens, and help us to see the ways that you're shaping us and helping us grow. Either way, Lord, help us to remember that you are always with us, no matter how life is going. Through Jesus' name, we know that you hear us. Amen.